The very idea of running a startup has taken on so much glamour and hype. But what's it really like? Is it more about grit, resilience, even luck? What about those make or break moments where things can either come together or go totally off the rails? That's where things get interesting, and those are the stories we'll explore. From the founder's perspective, unfiltered and honest. I'm Jenny Fielding, and I'm the Managing Director of Techstars New York City. I'm also an investor, founder, and an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship. And this is Founder Rising. All right. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jenny Fielding, the host of Founder Rising, which is a new Techstars podcast where we look behind the scenes of company building and we go deep with founders on the challenges of starting up. So today, I'm really excited to have Christy Horvath join us, and Christy is a founder and CEO of Wagmo, a company providing wellness and insurance plans to pet parents, and someone I've gotten to know over the last few years. So welcome, Christy. Thank you. I'm very excited to be joining. Awesome. Can we see your your guest? The guest of honor is my very hardworking dog, Aspen. That is amazing. Hi, Aspen. You're the inspiration for Wagmo, but you're a lazy pup too. (laughs) Very lazy. Very lazy. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining. And I'd love to kind of go back to like when we met and you were in Boston, you were in graduate school and you have this idea for a company. And, you know, tell us a little bit about those kind of early years of thinking through Wagmo and what made you take kind of the leap. I was in business school knowing I wanted to do something a little bit different And I remember very distinctly the second or third week when you go to business school, they make you start consulting recruiting. (laughs) So you, you just have arrived on campus and you have to like put on a suit and go to a cocktail hour and like network and hobnob with the partners with like a fancy glass of wine in your hand. I can imagine you putting on a suit, but maybe that's for another day. (laughs) So I, I remember very distinctly, all of my friends were getting ready and I went to my closet to like figure out what I was going to wear. And the thought of putting on a pair of Spanx was just like so repulsive to me that I couldn't even do it. Like I couldn't put on the clothes. And so I ended up bailing at the last minute and that was the moment truly when I was like, shit, I have to do something else. Because if, if I can't even bring myself to put on these clothes anymore, like there's no way that I can continue living my life in, at a desk. So went back to the drawing board. And, you know, fortunately, business school is kind of this like nice little playground where you can take a risk that you otherwise couldn't take. Um, so the summer between business school years, I'd explored kind of a tangentially related insure tech idea. Um, when my dog at the time, his name was Denver, um, got very sick and, and very quickly got a personal view at just how complicated and traumatic pet parenting really is and, and started to really dig into pet insurance from that lens. Um, but the reality is, I mean, I'm a risk averse person, like I'm an insurance person. I, my job is to avoid risk. And so had, had I been at BlackRock, I'm not sure I would have made the leap. Like the golden handcuffs are real. And, and I, I didn't grow up with a financial safety net. So, so that was a risk. I'm not sure I could have afforded to take had I not been in business school. So, you know, in some senses, it was kind of just like the perfect confluence of events that, that led me to this. And then what gave you the confidence as a risk averse person who came from kind of a fancy job at BlackRock um, and is, you know, at HBS, not to, aside from not wearing, wanting to wear the Spanx, um, you know, was, real. there is something in between, right? There's a job at Google, there's yeah. other things. So what kind of gave you that initial excitement about starting your own company? A lot of it was, 
I mean, sort of knowing that I had a parachute option, right? Worst case scenario, I told myself I could always like go to BCG. <laughs> no offense to BCG. Like I could always, I could fall back on a, on a standard business school job if, if I really needed to at the end of the day. What I started by doing is basically just, I had this idea once I got to like, actually, even before I got to the pet insurance piece, what I started to do is just put this idea in front of like super smart people. So I'd have conversations with my professors. I had them introduce me to other entrepreneurs. Um, I took a lot of entrepreneurship classes and ran it past like my colleagues and, or, and, you know, classmates and basically just sought like as much external validation that I wasn't crazy as I possibly could. And then basically one day like created a Squarespace page and like put something on the internet to see if people would buy it and people started buying it. And so I'm like, shit, now I have a company. I better do something with this. And, and from there basically realized I was onto something and, and dug in and, and started to, to build. So when you think about people, products, and market, um, all things that you kind of need to tackle as a founder, which has been kind of the most challenging of those buckets and kind of talk us through some of that. Definitely people. Um, and I think ultimately just because it was so unexpected, like my product is an insurance product and I knew going in that that was going to be hard. Like insurance is, is hard. It's boring. It's regulated. It's painful. So that I knew what I was getting myself into and had a general sense of how to navigate it. On the market side of things, I guess I just have so much conviction that this market is there that it never even crossed my mind that that was going to be a challenge. Like, I mean, fortunately, I'm working with pets, so it's like also a delightful market. Like I get to hang out with my dog all day, so that's pretty cool. But people, they tell you that it's going to be a big part, but nothing that you can do will prepare you for how all-consuming that is. And I think what was kind of the craziest part to me is how abrupt those transitions happen. I think you expect to it to be like a gradual go from build to hire to manage. But really what ended up happening is like one day you're in the weeds fixing things. And then very quickly, you're spending all of your time hiring and recruiting and convincing people and talking about comp and paying recruiters. And then the very next day, now you've got a team that you have to retain and like manage their careers and give them benefits. And the transitions are so abrupt that your day and how you spend your time and your energy is completely different from one moment to the next. And I think that was way more challenging than I've given it credit for. Continuing on that thread, you actually started as a solo founder and now have a co-founder, which is a beautiful moment that I was glad to be part of as you kind of went through that evolution. So talk about bringing someone on after you've started the business. Because we, you know, we often meet single founders. They've been working on the business for, you know, a year. And the idea of bringing on a co-founder is a little bit confusing. I'd always wanted a co-founder, right? Like I started this company in business school when my friends were joining like Tesla and Apple and <laughs> like Google. Like there was no way I was going to convince any of them to give up one of those salaries and that title to come start an insurance company with me. Like insurance is the least sexy industry that you could ever imagine. And I had a feeling that I was going to have to get this off the ground by myself because of that. So I, I just sort of had conceded to going it alone for a while there. Um, but had had always wanted to keep an open mind and had always wanted to bring someone along with me in the journey. And then about a year in, 
right around when I started Techstars, I'd reconnected with Allie, who was a coworker of mine at BlackRock. And she and I actually ended up becoming friends because we both love rescue dogs so much. So we'd like send each other links of dogs for adoption at BlackRock. And so our foundation of our friendship was built on dogs and insurance because we were both on the insurance team. And so I was so excited to tell her about what I was building and give her updates. And so we stayed in touch and and I asked her a couple of times if she wanted to come join me, like sort of joking, but sort of serious. And she like unquivocally was like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, not <laughs> no like, are you out of your mind? Uh, she's like, I have a mortgage and three kids, like no way. But I kept talking to her and we kept having conversations. And then one day I was like, look, we're really doing this. I'm, I'm about to go like do this tech stars thing. Like this is a big moment for us. Please come do this. And she was finally like, fuck it. Like, let's do it. <laughs> and, and she dove right in. And, and I think it was a little bit nerve wracking for me because on the one hand I was, you know, you always want to make sure that whoever you're bringing along with you as a co-founder is like as in it as you are. Um, and is going to eat, sleep and breathe Wagmo as much as I was. But on the other hand, like I'd known her and I knew that she was like kind of the perfect foil to all of my weird personality traits and, and could could handle me. Um, so what we did in the early days to mitigate that, because it's kind of an awkward thing to just bring someone on from zero to co-founder. So we, we basically like dated as co-founders and, and you were firsthand witness to this. But, you know, she came in for the Techstars programs, did about three months more or less like functioning as my co-founder, but, you know, without like the official title. And very quickly, it was it was obvious to me that like she was as committed and was all in and was totally down to eat, sleep and breathe Wagbo in the same way that I was. And also brought to light like a completely different skill set that I definitely needed. Not to mention, you know, it, it's just nice to have someone along with you on the journey that knows you well enough that they can push back against you, but also kind of collaborate with you and build something with you. So I'm grateful that Ali has joined me along on this journey. I never take it for granted. And I'm very excited to have her as co-founder. That's awesome. You are taking on some some kind of challenging areas, right? Um, I think of you guys as, you know, at the intersection of fintech and health, so many, you know, regulatory and just, you know, challenging spaces. So talk a little bit about kind of navigating some of that and, and the friction there, especially as kind of a first-time founder. And although you came from insurance, it was rough at certain points. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I did first, which I did very wrong. And then I'll tell you what actually worked. So the first thing that I did was I like got in my head and went through that whole like imposter syndrome nonsense, where even though I'd grown up in insurance and knew it quite well, I'd somehow convinced myself that like I was not able to do this particular piece of it and that I needed to go hire somebody. So fell back onto that trap where I went and hired some dude with a fancy resume thinking that that was the answer to my problem and spent a couple months basically watching nothing happen and quickly realized that like we had to part ways and, and ended up saying goodbye to that particular person. And, and at that point, Allie had just recently joined and Allie and I put our heads together and we're like, you know what, screw it. Like, we're just going to do this ourselves between the two of us. We can figure this out. Like how hard could it possibly be to start an insurance company? <laughs> and the first thing that we did was just learn as much as possible. So we talked to as many founders in the space that we could. We got as many introductions to like investors, founders, vendors, anybody who sort of played in that space, mentors through tech stars, um, and learned 
what words we should be using truthfully. Like insurance is one of those weird gated industries that like, if you don't know the right words to use, you can never actually have a productive conversation, kind of like finance. So we had to learn this vocabulary. We had to know what questions to ask and who to ask them to. And once we got a grip on that, it started to become very clear that this is just like, it's kind of a slog. Like it's just a long list of shit that you have to do in a certain order and you just have to be willing to do it and have the time and cash on hand to, to survive that basically. And so Allie and I basically divided and conquered. So she took on that insurance piece and more or less like single-handedly pushed that through the, the process and, and got all of our licenses in order and made sure that the path was paved for that nicely. And then I was running the wellness product and making sure that, you know, we were still moving forward as a general business. I mean, fortunately, the way that we approached the market, we had the wellness plan in market already. So we were generating revenue, we had customers, we had traction. So it's not like we were just burning venture cash for 12 months straight. Um, So we had something going for us that we could rely on a bit, but still there, you know, the clock was ticking. So um, at the end of the day, it was like, it's painful. It's arduous and time consuming and poor Allie had to sit in like a Penn Station basement to get her license for like three weeks straight. Not the way you want to spend your summer, but you just have to do it. And and so we just handled it. And sure enough, four months later, we were ready to go and we're a couple months out from signing our insurance partnership. I was going to ask you about this later, but you do bring up a a topic of like kind of surrounding yourself, plugging gaps of knowledge and and expertise that you don't have. And one thing that I felt like you guys were really great about was kind of attracting mentors and and getting feedback. Um, You were kind of a small scrappy team. So talk a little bit about how you were able to get like some pretty high profile and, you know, great people to, you know, come along for the ride, whether it was as early investors or really as mentors. Again, I, I think we're kind of fortunate in that the space that we're in attracts people for like the right reasons, right? It was all about Aspen. Yeah. Then- how could you say no? But really, I mean, with a product like ours, it's very easy to like tap into people's like personal passions. And it's a very like relatable product, especially for anybody who's ever had a pet. So it's an easy story to tell. And I think it's also like the market opportunity is so obvious to, to a lot of people that it's a pretty compelling opportunity from like a venture standpoint as well, like from an investment standpoint. What I did for basically a year and a half is just tell our story and get people as excited about pet insurance as I am and help them understand why we've got a real opportunity here to make it make something totally different. And what we tried to do is basically find like the smartest people in like the sections that we knew the least about. So like regulation, for instance, like we went and specifically found investors who were plugged into the insurance landscape and could help us navigate like all of the ins and outs of what insurance looked like. And then on marketing, like I'm not, I'm an insurance person. I don't come from a marketing background. So we very quickly started to find marketing mentors who could help us like tap into partnerships and think about growth in a different way. Ultimately just very self-aware and trying to build out aspects of the team without having to like commit to full-time hires and and contractors and, and friends along the way really like leaned on them heavily. Going back to the early days, can you talk about kind of a pivotal moment where, you know, the company really could 
not make it or um, have its breakthrough moment? And what were some of those factors? Because I do remember getting some late night calls from you, of, you know, figure out some, you know, some critical things around, you know, does the model work? And how are we keeping cap down in those things? So can you talk about some of those early indications that were drivers? There was a lot of learning with the product. And, and like I said, I, I literally had a Squarespace page and like guessed on prices and put something on the internet to see if it would work. So I went into it basically expecting it not to work and prepared to have to do a lot of adjustments. So I guess from that sense, it wasn't like a complete non sequitur, but there was a lot of, it was initially designed as a loss leading product, the wellness plan. So, so there was a bit of fear that, you know, if, if this went completely the wrong way, we would basically be in a bit of a pickle um, and would have to kind of about face, but ultimately ended up, fine-tuning and and making small adjustments here and there and just learning as much as possible. So talking to a whole bunch of customers and and looking at the data, like I'm a finance person, so everything that I do is in a spreadsheet. So so we did a lot of, I mean, we've probably changed our product and price, you know, six or seven times at this point, trying to get it exactly where we want it. We had another like really crazy pivotal moment that I don't think you've heard about yet, Denny. So early in Wagmo life, I was still in Boston, I was having conversations with like other potential partners in the, in the space and had a conversation with this one company who I would have been an awesome partner. And the conversation very quickly pivoted to them basically wanting to acquire us. I mean, acquire us is like a bit of a stretch. It was like me and one other person in a Squarespace page, but um, they were quite serious about it. I mean, they were like, we could go raise some more money and buy you guys out. And then you could build Wagmo underneath our brand and, you know, we could do this together. Like we've got a whole bunch of resources. We've already got like hundreds of thousands of customers and, and a whole bunch of money that we just raised. So it was a very compelling offer. And and I remember thinking to myself, like, man, that would be a really easy way out, but just wasn't quite ready to call it yet. I mean, we'd just gotten started and wasn't ready to hand over the reins, but it's funny to think that I, I hadn't thought of that moment in quite some time. So it's funny to think of like how an inconsequential coffee chat could have completely changed the trajectory of where, where we ended up. I mean, I think, don't think you're the only founder who's ever had that moment where you're like, oh, this is going to be really hard and this seems interesting. Yeah. You know, it's not the billion dollar exit, but it's something kind of exciting. So kind of fast forward to today, um, you guys raised a really nice round recently, a few million dollars. What are some of the challenges now, probably slightly different than when you started? And how are you navigating those challenges, expanding team and, you know, some of those? The big challenge that I think will probably be relatable for a lot of folks is like who we ultimately ended up to bring on as investors. I mean, we were fortunate to have some options on the table and I'd honestly like thought I had my mind totally made up and had a pretty nice flashy offer and it was more or less decided. And then as conversations started to progress, realized that, you know, their vision for what Wagmo could and should be was quite different from what mine was. And, you know, while I expected some degree of pushback and some degree of, you know, people challenging my leadership, it, it didn't seem right to necessarily start off like right out of the gates with like almost complete separate ideas. So, so ended up actually in the 11th hour calling that off and went a different direction. And so that was, that was an interesting moment and challenge that we've navigated. And I think what's continued to to present itself is that like being deliberate about the people that you bring around the table, whether it's your teammates or your investors actually really matters. I think I've learned that 
not all money is created equal and, and a small check from an incredible investor can be worth a lot more than a large check from a terrible investor. I truthfully don't have any terrible investors. I, I'm very fortunate, but I've, I've recently been seeing like other situations, like people around me navigating less fortunate uh, investor dynamics. So, so I'm glad that I put as much thought and really trusted my gut in, in that particular moment. And um, we do the same thing with our team. So like we run a very lean team. I mean, for the longest time up until like two months ago, we were like a five person team. Now all of a sudden we're an eight or nine person team, which has its own challenges, but you know, we're very particular about who we hire and, and make sure that they fit not only from like a culture standpoint, but that they're like actually going to level up the team is, is always what we're looking for. Like, are you going to raise the bar for, for the rest of the folks on the team? When you are kind of working through these situations, whether it's fundraising or team expansion, um, who are kind of your go-to people that help you kind of think through it and kind of come up with frameworks? Um, how did you kind of develop that group? Is it mentors? Is it investors? Is it, you know, friends and family? Well, it's you. So like, I feel like that was a... I'm on the list. Is that why you asked that question? No, I, you were obviously on the list. Um, my co-founder is obviously on the list. Um, my partner, I lean on him pretty heavily as well. And then we've got kind of like an inner circle of mentors and investors that I trust kind of like at a different level, like that I trust to give me an unbiased opinion because the investor dynamics always weird because they, there's always some tension of motives at the end of the day. But basically what I do is I kind of go to my like inner circle and calibrate on what the right answer will be. So knowing that everybody's got their own little bias tend to triangulate on, on, on where we should be. Being a CEO is hard. Um, I, pretty much almost had a breakdown during one of my companies. <laughs> um, so I'd love for you to share, you know, what keeps you mentally ready for the challenges and what gets you kind of going every day. Yeah, definitely hard. So I have a therapist, which, I mean, I'm in New York. Everybody has a therapist here. So you do. <laughs> uh, she's a lovely lady. Talk to her every week. I also you know, I work out a lot. That's been really helpful, especially like in quarantine. Quarantine has like leveled up the anxiety and weirdness of being a founder in a way that I could have never imagined. But basically um, have went from like moderate attention to self-care to like probably a ridiculous level of it, but I think it's sort of necessary. So so I'm exercising a ton. I meditate. Like if you'd asked me a year ago, if I'm the kind of person that meditates every morning, I would have laughed at you, but here I am. <laughs> so I, I meditate every morning um, and really basically try and prioritize self-care. I mean, I'm actually very good at like unplugging. I can take a weekend day or I can take a vacation and turn it off for a bit. The problem is scheduling those. So, you know, I have to find time to do that, which is something I'm still working on. But what we've been really trying to do, Allie and me both, is be very upfront about how important self-care is. So like when I need to do a yoga class in the middle of the day, I'll like send it to the team and say, hey, guys, be right back. I'm going to do a yoga class just to make it like acceptable and normalize that this is something that you should invest time in and that I'm going to take some time out of my day to walk the dog and just get a breath of fresh air because I'm like super stressed and it's totally okay if you guys do too. So you know, that's something that's been important to me to instill from, from day one. 
So I love working with what I call empath founders because they obviously have an acute connection to um, the problem. And I feel like that's often what gets them going. So, you know, you've been a pet obsessed person and you think about your customers and ultimately the pets that you're serving, like, is that part of how you deal with <laughs> the, the anxiety that you spoke about or, you know, you know, just some of the difficulties? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but at the end of the day, like what keeps you going is knowing that what you're building is actually helping people, right? It's not like I started Wagmo because I saw this like extreme market inefficiency that I had to exploit today. Although my investors are on the call. That is what I did. <laughs> no, but I mean, this is like a personal problem that I feel very passionately about. Like since I can remember, I have always loved dogs more than humans. And to be able to use my brain and my powers for good ultimately and create something that people look to for help and, and can actually improve their lives and their pets life. That's very meaningful to me. And I think especially after six or seven years of using my brain and working for somebody else and, and seeing like positive results and impact, but at like a completely different level, like when you're on the phone with a customer and they're telling you that your product is the one that they chose to keep their service dog healthy and, and, you know, they personally rely on their service dog to keep them healthy. And, and they like held out for Wagmo insurance and, and turned down others because they love Wagmo so much. That's like those heart wrenching moments where you're like, shit, this is, we're actually doing something here. So that's what makes it worth it at the end of the day. How have you kind of brought the team together during, you know, these difficult times? And what are some of the things you've tried that have like worked or maybe haven't worked? I've tried a lot of things. <laughs> I feel like I've tried a lot of things too. We're trying as much as we can. I mean, fortunately, we're small enough that we can still do like an all hands the full team and it's like not ridiculous. So every morning we do a, a stand up basically where we all get on Zoom or whatever, and, and go around and talk about what we're working on, which is nice to just kind of remain some, like have some constant connectivity every day. And then on Fridays, we do kind of like a more fun, like casual non-work all hands. I'll give everybody a prompt every Friday that's like, okay, so this week we're going to talk about like, what are you grateful for this week? Or what are you proud of this week? Or like, what's the best meal you had this week? Something silly just to like get somebody out of their like work zone a little bit and start to show the other side of them. We tried, we did a lot of like games. So we did a lot of like code names for a while there. But I think people just got so sick of like Zoom that that got a little bit exhausting at the end. So, so we dialed that back. We sent everybody snacks. We gave everyone a plant to like have some fun in their life. You know, we're, we're trying it all. If anybody has any ideas, I'm very open. <laughs> We've tried a lot of tech stars just to kind of keep, keep morale going. But yeah, it's, it's hard. So this is streaming live on LinkedIn Live. So why don't you give a little plug for your new insurance product and tell us a little bit more about the product. All right. Wagmo Insurance is now live and we are super, super excited. We are the first insurance product out there that offers 100% reimbursement across the board. So every other company out there will, will do 80, 90% co-insurance or you pay you know 10 to 20% of the bill beyond your deductible. Wagmo's actually offers 100% across the board designed to be super easy and transparent for pet parents. We have one comprehensive product. It covers all of the essentials like cancer treatment, x-rays, prescription meds, surgeries, uh, and all of that is accessible through three different deductible options. 100% coinsurance across the board and super easy to use. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and send it to us and we process your reimbursement. 
We're also the only company out there that has unbundled insurance from wellness. So even if you're not ready for insurance today, our wellness product is available and can help you navigate and sort of budget for those lumpy vet costs, the exam fees, the grooming, flea and tick, that side of things as well. We had a question come in about evaluating market size. So I remember when you were raising in the early days, that was something that you kind of had to justify, right? Not a lot of people in the U.S. have insurance. Many more should. It's much more popular in Europe. I think I learned all those stats from you. So, you know, how in those early days were you kind of able to convince people that didn't really know much about the market that this was a massive opportunity? Honestly, in the same way that I was able to convince myself, I mean, the data is all there. So... 1% penetration roughly in the U.S. for pet insurance. In Europe, it's 20 to 60% depending on the country. And if you look at how people are interacting with their pets here, you know, now people are treating their pets better than they treat themselves. They're certainly spending more money on their pets than they spend on themselves. You're seeing subscription foods that are cost, people are spending you four or $500 a month on pet food all in the name of wellness. So like wellness as a category is starting to become very like in vogue. And then pet as a category is also starting to become very important to people as pets become more and more like children. I think what was a bit of a hump for me in in my storytelling is the generation prior to ours tends to think of pets as just pets. My mom, the dog is just a dog, right? Um, Whereas my dog is literally my child. And so the thought of paying like twenty, thirty thousand dollars for a surgery to me is a complete no-brainer for my dog. Whereas my mother would be like, "Are you freaking kidding me? It's a dog." <laughs> so that was, you know, a story that I had to paint for people and help them understand that that our customers are the same ones that are spending four hundred dollars a month on food, that are like dressing up their dogs, they make Instagram accounts for their dogs, right? Like this is a different level of pet ownership, and it's just getting started. So we're just at that like threshold where this is now becoming a main point of people's lives. And the next step here is trying to figure out like, how do people support that financially? And that's where insurance is going to come in. So I think it's starting to pick up now. You're already seeing it. I mean, when I started Wagmo, there was like, it was just us. And now there's a whole bunch of people entering the market. This is very clearly on the brink of blowing up into a product that is on the forefront of people's minds. Last question before we wrap is just tips for other founders. We have a lot of founders out there that are just starting their their company. I remember when you were really one person and some consultants getting this going. I think your brother was working for you too. You got the family going. So what are the tips for early stage founders out there? You know, my biggest tip is to take everyone's advice with a grain of salt. I mean, especially if you're a female founder, you're going to get a lot of advice and most of it's going to be wrong. Probably all of it is going to be wrong. I mean, I think what I realized is that everybody thought that they knew more about it than I did. And I told you, I mean, in the, in the early days, I made a pretty important decision sort of doubting myself and listening to somebody else's advice and quickly realized that I should have just trusted myself at the end of the day. So I think you know more about your company than anybody else does. And, and when you go pitch investors, they will try and convince you otherwise. And it's just part of the game. Like you just have to go into it with that degree of confidence and conviction. And then I think my other piece of advice is like hiring just takes so much time. Like just be prepared for that. Like the people piece is, is real. And going from building to managing a team is a challenge that you 
cannot be prepared for enough. So I, I read one book. I wish I'd read more, but I think, you know, I've been leaning heavily on, on other more experienced founders to, to help me as well. And that's, that's been really helpful too. So asking for help and, and being careful about who you ask for help is, is sort of the, the second part of my advice. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, and what kind of stories you'd like to hear next. You can find me on Twitter at J.E. Fielding. 